and welcome to Detention. Joining us this week for the sports edition of the Detention Podcast, we have uh, the WNBA playoffs, the NBA season starting up, Shaq and Allen Iverson, as well as Iowa football, and of course, Caitlin Clark news. So, good week for sports. So, I'm going to start off with an odd question for you. Sounds like a riddle, but there is an answer. Riddles do have answers. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Describe a successful failure in two words. A successful failure uh, in two words. Oh, fuck. I'm not sure. Brian Ferentz. Okay, there you go. That's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Succeeding upwards for whatever reason. Nepotism, I guess, is the correct term for it. I thought you'd appreciate that one. That's a good one. We'll talk about him a little bit today. But first, I want to start off talking with a new high-tech helmet that is apparently going to be, I guess, trialed through Division Three football, so very small football level. Uh, AT&T and Gallaudet University have developed a football helmet for players who are deaf or hard of hearing, which allows people of those uh, disabilities to communicate with each other using ASL, as well as allowing coaches to call plays on the sideline using a tablet that will then pop up on a little mini display inside the quarterback's helmet, which is pretty cool. Um, from what I've seen, and I don't know how well it's actually going to work because, you know, football, you get hit in the head quite a bit, that the display is almost like just a little tiny screen that pops in front of the player's eye. So I don't know. Logistics of, well, if the quarterback gets hit in the head, if how well is that display going to work? They've already done some trial runs during some games, apparently, and they say that it's working pretty good so far. Um like I said, it was clear by the NCAA to be used in the helmet specifically for that school for now. So, you know, if we're talking about future of college football instead of having to have a, uh, huddle. a huddle or having, you know, play callers on the side of the field doing random signals and holding up signs and stuff, this could, you know, obviously make that process a lot easier. Uh, again, how well it will work, I'm not sure. But what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I like the diversity aspect of it, being able to get a different section of player who thought they've never could never play at a high level mm-hmm. because of one reason or another. Uh, so I I think it's pretty interesting that way. Um, technology technology is interesting and is bound to fail. So I'd be curious to see what the backup plans are in case of failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, now instead of having play callers, you're going to have helmet techs on the sideline. So I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I mean, I think it's good in terms of bringing different type of player to the game. Yeah. And obviously I wouldn't say that even in today's world, would it having a deaf or hard of hearing starting quarterback, even for a division one school, you wouldn't think would be that much of a challenge obviously besides the fact that there's a shit ton of communication that goes on that is mainly verbal in division one. Um, but yeah, I think it's a huge step forward. Well, I think too. Um, and I don't know how they would do this on the display. It might be unfair advantage too, but 
a lot of what the quarterback does, especially on the blind side, is listening to what's behind you. Mm-hmm. And if you hear somebody coming up or like shaking off one of your offensive linemen, all right, I hear that's going to happen. I need to get out of the pocket. Mm-hmm. Deaf person can't hear that. True. So I wonder if there's like a little bit of a, not siren, but a little flash on the screen that tells you, hey, someone's coming up behind you. But see, also that is my point of the unfair advantage is like, oh, now I know I need to throw it. Mm-hmm. Whereas even someone who can hear, that's just instinct that you have to understand is that, oh, I have a person behind me. I need to get rid of the ball or you don't have that instinct yet mm-hmm. and you get hit. But if you have that flashing light, even if you're able to hear, oh, I need to get rid of the ball. Not fair. So that's up in the air. Mm-hmm. Again, this is still very early stuff. Oh, right? yeah. I thought it'd be somewhat interesting just to talk about because, you know, obviously with the more advanced helmets of trying just to reduce CTE and other concussions from the sport itself, that why not at some point integrate new technologies like that? I mean, in the pros, they have literal speakers in their helmets so they can hear the play call Mm -hmm. coming from the coaches. They don't have that in college because they don't feel like that is necessary or or something. I don't know what the specific NCAA rule is prohibiting that. But I think this is a good step forward. Yeah. Makes the game a little bit more dynamic in certain ways. Uh, Next storyline, starting with basketball. So the playoffs for the WNBA started. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know there's probably been a few games already. Three games? Specified series. Okay. Uh, The uh, Las Vegas Aces versus the New York Liberty. Mm -hmm. Currently, the Liberty are down two to one, so they avoided the sweep. Uh, The Aces star point guard, uh, I can't remember her first name, but it's Gray. Her last name's Gray. She's injured to be determined if she'll be back and at what capacity. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they stave off if they'll need her to put the Liberty away or if the Liberty can come back and go on a 3-0 series to win it. Who knows? Um, But probably they would have lost had she stayed in the whole game. Who knows? But Mm -hmm. uh, as of right now, Liberty is still in it, so there's still at least one more game to play, if not two. Okay, so you said best of five. So if the Aces win one more, they get the championship. That's it, yep. They'll go back-to-back. And I want to mention that these are the literally the two best teams in the WNBA. Oh, like I down. saw a, a, a graphic that showed like maybe seven or eight different uh, aspects of the game that they met, track for different records and stuff, and they're both one and two in each of the categories. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's not quite as bad as like some regular NBA teams where obviously the best team with the most money usually makes it to the championship each year. But these two are obviously the clear best yeah. teams. Yeah. Uh, the NBA season officially begins. Yep. On Tuesday, next Tuesday, the 24th. Mm-hmm. I am so stoked. Um, what's the key matchup for first week? Do you know? Uh, yeah. Let me tell you. Because I know they were holding some preseason games already. Yeah, preseason's going on right now. Um, nothing too exciting to really talk about. Um, uh, Victor Wambayama and Chet Holmgren had a good matchup together. Uh, so That was, what, the Thunder versus the Spurs? Yep. Okay. And so they had 
uh, a nice stat line between the two of them uh, that people are excited for for the long term. You know, Mm -hmm. because Chet was the number two pick last year, and then obviously Wambayama was the number one pick this year, and they're both seven foot tall, athletic bigs. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they play out through their careers, but the two games and opening night are going to be the Lakers versus the championship war uh, nuggets um, at six thirty on TNT. And then following that you have the warriors versus Suns at nine o'clock on TNT. So double header for the best marketed teams currently, obviously the nuggets won last year and the Lakers, they went through the Lakers to win mm-hmm. and handedly beat them. And then the Suns getting Bradley Beal and already having a star-studded cast, and the Warriors getting Chris Paul and also having a star-studded cast. So those those four teams make the absolute most sense to start a, uh, start the season. But those are our two games going into it. I'm going to call it now that I think the Lakers are going to pull the upset on the Nuggets just because they have a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. And then the Nuggets don't really have to prove anything right away. They, they're already the defending champions. I don't think... Whether they win or lose, I don't think it changes the trajectory of their season. Well, no. First game doesn't really mean too much out of a such a long season right. as basketball. Unless you get injured, like Gordon Hayward, you know, a couple of years ago. That mm-hmm. That's the difference. But barring any major injuries, right, I don't think the outcome of this game makes one lick of difference, at least in terms of the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Lakers, maybe. Uh, then with the Suns and the Warriors, I think the Suns are going to pull it off just because they're a little younger. Um Bradley Beal, I think, wants to prove something that he can he can win outside of Washington. He can do stuff outside of Washington. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be interesting to see how that dynamic is on the team. That on top of the Suns having a new center with DeAndre Ayton gone, I would like to see how that team plays out. Um, and I just think the Warriors aren't what they were. Steph Curry is always going to be Steph Curry, but I don't. Their moves were great from a marketing standpoint, but in terms of actual longevity and success, I'm not entirely sure. So I'm going to go with Lakers and Suns first. first I've day. also heard that there's like weird contract talks with Clay Thompson. Yeah, and I'm how not he, sure they're about struggling that. to either restructure his contract or do an extension or something. Um, I don't think it has any impact for this season necessarily, but obviously his willingness to play as hard as he possibly can. The issue with Clay Thompson is that he thinks that because he brought the Warriors with the help of obviously his team four championships that he's just owed this money, but you're not the player you used to be. He was out for two seasons. Right. It, so, it, I mean. That that affects how he, his game is played, and that's not really a fault of his. That's just body. Yeah, but I would say that if you are the organization, you could look at him and be like, well, we did keep you on our team even though yeah. you had two what mcl uh acl and then uh achilles yeah and either of the two legs right it wasn't just one it was yeah. both legs had yep. one, one injury each yep. so it's like we decided to keep you right so yeah show us a little grace here yeah i think clay thompson has become a melodramatic baby i think so a little bit more um so just definitely way more than you know, right. they're a big season in 2015. Understand what you did for the organization, but understand what the organization has done for you. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah. Um, next little bit, bit of basketball news. Shaq and Allen Iverson are officially 
released as the uh, president, or I shouldn't say released because they're acted as, but I said released as in news, uh, president and vice president of Reebok for their basketball department. I saw that. So Shaquille O'Neal has been named the official president of basketball, and then Averson has been named the vice president of basketball. This is coming full circle after Shaq was Reebok's first sponsored athlete in the NBA. Uh, Shaq and Iverson will both be focusing on recruiting players for the actual Reebok brand. Uh, Iverson will be recruiting players by concentrating on Reebok's involvement in grassroots organizations and community initiatives, while Shaq is reportedly supposed to be using his contacts to connect, recruit, and retain those athletes as they get signed by the brand themselves. Nice. Um, I know Reebok was basically bankrupt not too long ago, and they had to get bought out by a different company. I'm forgetting what the name of it is. Um, but shortly after that, they instituted a new president of all operations, and then they started going with this initiative of having their two biggest, I guess, stars for the brand that got them a lot of money in the 90s and early 2000s to then kind of revamp the entire brand and get new players on board, which is great. Um, like I said, it's a great opportunity for Shaq and especially Allen Iverson. I don't know how much AI has been doing with basketball too much besides just, like they said, smaller grassroots right. stuff within his own community. Um, obviously, Shaq's been involved with it for commentating and being on TNT and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just another thing to add to his resume. But I thought it was interesting just because, I don't know, usually don't have former players of that caliber to then just be the actual heads of a certain department within a brand. Normally they're like affiliate sponsor, but not the ones calling the shots of who's going to be doing what and what. So good move for them. I mean, Shaq doesn't need more money, but it'll be pretty cool to see him out there doing advertisements and stuff. And who wouldn't want to work with Shaq? (laughs) I mean, he seems like just one of the best guys ever. All right, moving into Iowa sports. Uh, since we were off for a couple of weeks, there are a couple of things we want to talk about, specifically with Iowa football. Um, I believe the last time we talked about it, they played Michigan State. Yep. So we're going to cover a little bit of the Purdue versus Wisconsin games that happened in the last two weeks and give a breakdown of that. Um, first off, what were your thoughts? I mean, we went to the Purdue game yep. together. And then obviously this past week, and they played Wisconsin. Uh, what are your initial thoughts for these last two weeks? The run game has been coming together. Caleb Johnson back for Purdue was a huge hit. I mean, it was the reason we won. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could say the same thing for LaShawn Williams in the Wisconsin game. Caleb Williams didn't have a great game, but LaShawn Williams blew up and had pretty much the same stat line. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also – him and Tory Taylor were the reason we won. I mean – you look at the running backs and the special teams, and obviously you can always say the defense, but the special teams and Torrey Taylor and the running backs the past two weeks are the reason we have even stayed in it mm-hmm. and won the past two games. So, 100%, which, you know, it's weird to say at this point in the season to be like, oh, the running game kept us alive and won these two games, uh, when for at least the last two seasons for sure the run game has not been much help at all right in iowa football i mean it's been important but it hasn't been explosive no it has not yielded enough production for it to be like okay these were the specific reasons yes as to why um iowa won a game 
So obviously both offense or the offense in both games looked pretty bad yeah. aside from the run game. Like we mentioned was getting, uh, improved. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to throw this out there. I, and we said we were going to mention him, Brian Ferentz, though he does deserve a lot of criticism over the last several years, just because he's just not terribly good at his job as everyone thought he was going to be. Um, I'm going to have to start blaming him as much the rest of the season going forward. Yeah. Just because Cade McNamara is out season ending injury with an ACL tear. Um, both tight ends now starting tight ends are out first three. three. So you have Luke Lachey, who we talked about breaking his ankle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eric all got injured with what I would imagine to be a torn ACL or an MTL. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have Stilianos, who is also out. I don't know if his is long-term or short-term, but he's also out. So our last one is Ostrenga mm-hmm. as our tight end for the depth chart-wise that I've seen. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you have three to four main starters out, which does hinder maybe some production. Mm-hmm. But if you have two people in all of your offense who are out, that should not hinder you. I understand one of them starting quarterback. Yeah, it shouldn't. But you have nine other people on the offense that can help you produce, and you're telling me that two, your starting quarterback and your starting tight end, are the reason you can't produce? That's ridiculous. I mean, from a standpoint of coaching, any other coach in any other Power 5 school or any other college just in general would be like, okay, well, next man up, exactly. which is supposed to be the mentality that Iowa has anyway. And it is the mentality that they have. <clears throat> and it is. Your, your only target on offense should not be – the tight end. That should not be it. You're right. It shouldn't be. But for Iowa, even in years where we have had more competent passing game with wide receivers who seem to get more separation mm-hmm. or are able to catch the ball when it's given to them, even when it's not placed in the correct spot, right. which is a problem that Iowa quarterbacks have had over the last couple of years of just not getting it into the best position for them to catch, yep. but at least making it somewhat catchable. Um and just for whatever reason, our wide receiving core not being able to consistently do that, just moving forward in the Brian Ferentz system, I'm going to have to take a little bit more blame off of him and just be like, well, he is a little bit more limited. As before, he maybe had an arm tied behind his back. Now he kind of seems to have definitely both tied behind his back just because the initial weapons that he was going to have to work with to at least improve the offense are not even there anymore. So it's going to be a lot of bit more creative on his end of how he's going to do things. And like you said, he's incompetent. So I don't even give right. him any trust to use the tools that he currently has to really make things better. My issue is two things. You see that your, your guy, and I understand Kirk Ferentz being like, solid on who's in the game because he's obviously causing you to win. But Deacon Hill has not done enough for me to be like, yep, he's our he's our guy. Give Labas a chance. Give him a shot. Like yeah. you your quarterback had thirty seven yards passing on what, three completions, I think. Um it was more than that. But he is only averaging like thirty seven, forty percent completion yeah. percentage. So your your starting quarterback I guess, yeah, I guess he's managing the game enough, but we need something else. What happens when the run game stops working? You know, yeah, there's, there's going to be a game when it doesn't work anymore because they're going to just flood the box and they're going to make you throw it. Mm-hmm. What is going to happen 
when you're reliant on your quarterback. Give the guy who's had big game potential in Joey Labas with having to play Kentucky last year in the bowl game and winning, for an example, starting and winning. Yeah. Give him a shot. Let him see if he can produce anything. I also think another thing with what you were talking about is, you know, giving Brian Farron saying that he has two hands tied behind his back. What are the, what kind of plays are they running in practice? Because, yes, yeah, sure, the receivers might be dropping it, but how many reps are they actually getting in practice? Like, full-on, not not just skill position, run this route, we'll throw the ball and catch it. Like This, this full play on, is specially designed because we're going to, for sure, give yeah. you the ball on this. And pads yeah. on pads, like, yeah. live practice, how much are they actually getting an opportunity to catch the ball? I would say very minimal. And that's my point. I, I think a lot of it ever since, especially with uh, McNamara being hurt and mm-hmm. them being more, especially after uh, Lachey getting right. injured, I think a lot of the practice, and this is just speculation, focus on like, all right, well, we're going to improve blocking. Yep. Wide receivers go out here and get just into your block pr- formation, mm-hmm. and we're just going to work on how you need to position your guys so that our run game yeah. can get better. Which I think is causing a lot of drops. I could be completely wrong. But I know they could probably be spending more time getting the wide receivers integrated than what they are. Probably. So that's my issue. Yeah. Um, Continuing on, like you mentioned, defense and special teams have been the sole focal point of how they are winning games. Uh, The defense is still very stingy and not giving up huge plays. Uh, special teams has been flipping the field and allowing Iowa's opponents to make mistakes. Then Iowa, for the most part, is able to somewhat capitalize on, meaning they are able to at least move a few yards and then punt the ball again to the point where, you know, Torrey Taylor bombs a 60-yard punt, right. which is crazy. He had two 60-yard punts on Saturday. He averaged 50-something yards a punt on 10 punts. Yes. That's fucking awesome. I love to hear it because great for him. His draft stock, I think, is just getting better yep. because of Brian Ferentz's incompetence. See, but this this is going to sound this is a huge hot take, right? I'm not saying Tory Taylor for Heisman, but my point of this comment is this is exactly what the Heisman is for. Like the best person in college football to help their team succeed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can't argue argue that Tory Taylor has been one of the, if not the star for Iowa's team to help them succeed. For sure. I, I don't how I don't know how you think that that's not arguable. It's probably not right to a lot of people, which is fine, but that is absolutely a case that can be made. Mm-hmm. Um, Sebastian Castro continues to be mm-hmm. a fucking dog. Same um, with Cooper DeGene. This past week against Wisconsin. I mean, he, it's 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 funny. I shouldn't say it's funny because obviously the dynamic of how you approach position based off of where you are on defense changes how you do things. But Quentin Schulte, safety, would come down for run support when Brandon Allen was out there and he got trucked yeah, two, two or three times by Brandon Allen. Sebastian Castro didn't get trucked once and was able to take him down and one of those was for a fucking loss. Mm-hmm. And knock the ball out on another occasion to then help seal the win for Iowa. Yep. So it's like, I don't know if it's just body position of like he plays nickel so he knows where he needs to actually come down and hit or he just sees hits more often than Quentin Schulte does. And because he's more in line to be 
run support against running backs as both Quinton Schulte's more going out trying to mm-hmm. def, uh, pass deflect and that and kind of stuff. The funny thing is Quinn Schulte, he hits hard too. Yeah, he hits hard. Uh, Sebastian Castro just hits fucking harder. You know what his nickname is? What? Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh. He, his nickname is the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't know if that's uh, entirely appropriate, just, but it's funny, and he definitely earns it because he is he's a mad dog. Um, Iowa is now 6-1 and one and in full control of the West Division title. Somehow. <laughs> right? Isn't that? I mean, our only loss is to a top really six good. ranked team. Yep. Yeah. Really good Penn State team. Um, they just have to handle business against Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska. Um, of those games, I think Minnesota, Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska uh, are going to be tough games. I don't think Northwestern will be that tough of a game. Um, but mainly because each one of those teams I mentioned besides Northwestern has a pretty competent passing game and a solid run game. And their defenses are pretty good. Um, oddly enough, Rutgers scares me out of those four kind of the most. We're just, going to that one. Just And we were going to that one. Just because, I mean, they've already won five games this year, which is three more than usual. <laughs> And I, I honestly think that since Maryland just got beat by Illinois, that Rutgers could probably beat Maryland and they've already beaten Michigan state. I think out of the East, they might be the fourth best team in the East right now, which is scary. So I think, um, it'll be interesting. You win out, you go 11 and one with the worst fucking offense in college football. I think that'd be hilarious stat line to go with. All right, next little bit of football news. I wanted to talk about the schedule release that the Big Ten gave out for all the new 18 teams going into the 2024 season, and they released the next five seasons, so 2024 to 2028. Obviously, we're going to focus on Iowa. So in this new schedule for the next five years, they do retain all three trophy-slash-rivalry games against Minnesota, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. Um, they will also be playing Iowa State in it each of the next five seasons as well. So all four trophy games are still alive, at least almost until the end of this next decade. Uh, they will basically play all other teams within the Big Ten twice throughout this time frame, except for USC and Michigan State. They'll play three times over the next five years. And here's the home and away breakdown for conference for Iowa. So in 2024, the away games will be Maryland, Michigan State, Minnesota, Ohio State, and UCLA. And the home games will be Nebraska, Northwestern, Washington, and Wisconsin. So I think for sure, uh, for conference, they will maybe be four and five. Like I I don't I don't have a whole lot of confidence moving forward. Um I mean, Cade McNamara says he'll be back for that season, but who actually knows? And we'll wait to see. The 2025 season, the away games are Nebraska, Rutgers, USC, and Wisconsin. And then the home games will be Indiana, Michigan State, Minnesota, Oregon, and Penn State. 2026, away are Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Washington. And then the home will be Nebraska, Ohio State, Purdue, and Wisconsin. In 2027, the away games are Indiana, Nebraska, Oregon, Wisconsin. The home games are Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, UCLA, and USC. So a little bit less travel that year. And then for 2028, 
The away games are Michigan State, Minnesota, Penn State, Purdue, USC. And then the home games are Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. So I obviously am happy that the Big Ten is expanding. And I understand that Iowa is going to have to play Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA more often. But if we weren't talking earlier this year about how this is Iowa's last season to truly be a Big Ten West champion again and then at least try to compete for the overall Big Ten champion, um, it for sure will be the last year. I do not see them ever getting close to the top after this year. I think the only way that we get close is if we revamp the system, revamp the team, revamp the coaching, revamp how we call plays. And I I think Kirk Ferentz has done a lot for this program, but I think he's getting to the point where he needs to step aside for someone like LeVar Woods, who can rejuvenate this program and say, I want to keep a lot of the things the same, like the toughness, the hard work ethic, and a lot of the same traditions, but I want to change how we do it, you know? I think he'd be open to the idea of maybe making the offensive schemes a little bit different. Well, and I think I think he also understands that Hawkeye Nation takes a lot of pride in the traditions that they have and the type of football and camaraderie that the program has. Mm-hmm. But he also, I think, is aware that the fans want something new in terms of how the game is played. Yeah. Change the game style, keep the back room the same. I think is what every Hawkeye fan is craving. And I think he understands that. And I think that would be a great fit. Yeah. In order for Iowa to actually be competitive in the big 10 moving forward, especially in these next five seasons, you have to do get a young coach who can connect. You have to do massive changes. And maybe this would be a reason uh, Kirk could actually look at it as like, after this season, I could actually see him being like, I am going to retire just because things get way more challenging going forward in the big 10 your ability to even stay relevant with these other huge, massive brands joining and you being able to compete in the way that you want to compete. Because let's be honest, since he's been in it, the way that the Big Ten has been structured for most of the years that he's been a part of it has allowed him to compete, either with having less teams in the league, so obviously your chances of being near the top are better, or having divisions where you only have to beat out a certain number of teams, which still limits your teams that you have to beat throughout the season to then at least compete for a Big Ten championship. Right. With this, I think he's looking at it at he could look at it as, well, shit, I don't know how I can even stay relevant now or even get my guys to be where they want to be or where I'm telling them they can be, just because there's just too much now. Yeah. So I'm not saying retire, but maybe he should definitely think about it. Uh, Next little bit of Iowa news. Caitlin Clark is officially sponsored by State Farm. So cool. Yeah. I mean, she's the first uh, college athlete to officially be sponsored by State Farm. Uh, She said in a quote, State Farm is a team that looks out for others, which is exactly the kind of legacy I want to leave beyond the basketball court. Uh, I'm honored to be the first college athlete to join the good neighbor team in khakis, of course, and look forward to growing the women's game together. So, you know, uh, I couldn't find how much she's actually making from this partnership because it wasn't disclosed, but I'm sure she's making a lot of money from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw that she already did a promo. um, I don't think it's been released yet with Jake from State Farm. And she asked for like something like autographed khakis khakis or something like that, which is... 
fucking funny. Like that guy is like a huge celebrity for some reason. Right. She's way more of a celebrity than he is, I think, <laughs> now. Uh, and then finishing up with Iowa sports news, the women's crossover game happened yesterday, October 15th, uh, where they broke the women's basketball attendance record with 55,646 people. It was held at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, and if anyone knows, Kinnick Stadium holds about... 73? Uh, 69,000 and some odd change. Mm. They were over 70,000 before renovations in the oh, North End Zone right. happened. So now they're just under... <laughs> 70,000. So you got to imagine if it only holds around 69,000 people and 55,000 were there, almost 56, most of that stadium was filled. I saw a picture and a couple videos of it. Just to watch Iowa women's basketball outside in somewhat cold weather. Against DePaul. Against DePaul. So that's huge, obviously, for growing the women's basketball brand. I mean, Lisa Bluter can't say enough about her. Right. She's continuously just growing that brand and making women's sports that more prominent. And it's just cool that it's happening at Iowa. Um, so huge kudos to them. They and did, they did the wave. And they yeah, they did the wave after the first quarter. Uh, they won ninety four to seventy one, mm-hmm. so fairly comfortable win. And Caitlin Clark had a measly thirty four point triple double. Yeah. So thirty four ten and eleven. Yep. So, damn. Even for a exhibition game, she still shows up. Right. All right. And last little bit of sports news. Something quick to cover. The NCAA Council has approved new transfer rules. Uh, so they approved the changes to transfer portal windows that will shrink the number of days that student athletes can enter the portal. And it impacts all athletics. So not just basketball or football. And it gives players 45 total days throughout the year to enter their names into the transfer portal. Obviously, the days of those differ based on the sport that you're playing. Uh, so, for instance, football has a new 30-day window that will be, begin the Monday after conference championship games. Um, and then the players who are in those conference championship games have an additional five days to enter the portal. So it makes it a little bit harder for Mm -hmm. players to just enter whenever they fucking want. And I think they kept in the provision of like, if your coach gets fired or leaves unexpectedly, you would have the reserve to then transfer out if you wanted. And then men's and women's basketball have a 45 day window that opens up the Monday after selection Sunday. So that following day, after you've been selected into the tournament, you can then declare for the portal. But I think it's good, obviously with how, the NCAA has made rules for how you can basically transfer every year and not lose eligibility. At least shorten the days that you can enter makes you, as an athlete, pay more attention to those days and whether or not you can actually feasibly do it. And if you forget, then you go, oh, shit, well, I guess you have to stay here. Well, Tom Izzo brought up a good point. I read an article with him talking about it, and he said he wants it actually shortened more more why not because he said we as an organization have to get on and like figure out who's on our team and get to work mm-hmm. whereas most of these kids understand where they're going already they yeah. don't need a lot of time True. so why waste ours exactly fair point i mean tom Izzo has usually been on the pretty much forefront of a lot of i shouldn't say fairer i should say uh rules that the ncaa does for especially basketball so 
All right, that wraps up this week's episode of the sports edition of the Detention Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please spread the word and encourage others to listen as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DetentionPod1, or you can send us an email at DetentionPodcast1 at gmail.com. You can listen to the Detention Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, your detention has been served. We will see you again next week.